Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? Amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's M Amazing Radio. I'm Dr. Law. Got Lavender Gooms with me. Happy Monday. Got Kid Presentable with me. Hey guys, another slow MMA news week, right? Oh yeah, and we got DJ Mark here, folks. Hey yo. Uh, boys and girls, this week on the show, we're going to talk about exactly what you think we're going to talk about, which is the single nuttiest UFC event probably ever, at least coming up to the actual, not counting the event itself. Uh, we're going to talk about UFC 223, that entire debacle. Uh, we're going to talk about the two title fights that came out of it, where we're going to go in some of these divisions. Uh, we got some, uh, we got some news on Brock Lesnar we're going to talk about later in this show. Uh, we're also going to do our fight picks for this weekend's, um, free fight, free Fox card, which I, I really think the Fox cards might be my favorites because they're the favorite because it's only four hours and it starts at 5 p.m. Pacific or only four fights. And start at 5 p.m. Pacific. Well, headline by red hot. Yeah, headline by uh, just a banger of Justin Gaethje and Dustin Poirier. We're going to talk about that. We're going to do memoirs of a fight fan. We're trying to think positive when we get to these memoirs. Uh, there was an option to go real negative, but we're going positive. And then we're going to do us uh, next week's going to be real negative. This week though, uh, we're going to do uh, memoirs of a fight fan. We're going to end with uh, stuff we like. Uh, so let's lead this thing off. Uh, I'm going to give you guys the Cliff Notes version of this, which. Quite frankly, I don't believe there's any scenario anybody listening to this podcast doesn't know exactly what I'm about, what I'm about to say, but let's go quick with it. Um, when we last left you, Tony Ferguson was uh, hurt and Max Holloway was going to fight Khabib Nurmagomedov. Put that in your back pocket. Uh, a couple already days in the middle of a shitstorm. <laughs> already in the middle of a shitstorm, we got that going on. Uh, believe it's on, uh, I want to say Wednesday. Where we get footage of Khabib and uh, Artem Lobov getting into a bit of a backstage altercation where you learn that the UFC PR people really make their money, man, trying to separate these fools. Artem kind of got surrounded. Words were said. Uh, Khabib might have asked where the Burger King was talking about Connor. He wasn't looking for a Whopper. Didn't, uh, didn't Khabib grab Artem? He kind of did. He kind of sunned him. You know, it was, his hands. Yeah, it was that real threatening <laughs> hand on the shoulder, like, you listen to me now. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that happened. Connor, um, would le- let you believe that he f- immediately got on his plane to fly to New York to support his boy. Ariel kind of let it out that Connor was coming anyway. Him and the UFC thought they were able to come to an agreement on when he was going to fight next. Connor shows up with his crew. Looks like they're like 15, 20 deep. They show up for the ultimate media event. Uh, they call it ultimate. Just, I'm sure there's better media events. Uh, Connor uh, gets let in the back door of the Barclays Center by the people who have press credentials from the MacLife.com, which is Connor McGregor's version of BJPenn.com. Now, Just Dana, don't you feel stupid giving those fucks credentials and you won't give us anything? We weren't going to start any shit. But All no. we do is call you a criminal enterprise. We weren't going to cause a fight, though. Yeah, we're uh, peaceful. Behind your back. So... People might know this. The UFC likes to jettison their fighters around with buses to and from the fighter hotel. They got two buses, one for the red corner, one for the blue corner. The corner Khabib was in, Connor and his boys, they're banging on the windows. At this point, 
I'm fine with this, by the way. I think this is great. We're going to do some fight hype. Some bullshit. It's great. Connor, fueled by something. Let's go with rage and... Mike's going straight to cocaine. Okay, cocaine. Uh, my, um, Connor tries to pick up a guardrail, which aren't that light. Kind of awkward, too, to pick up. Connor picks that shit up, ready to throw it through the, throw it at the bus. He has stopped. Connor picks up a hand truck, not a dolly. A hand truck. There's a difference. And throws that shit into the bus. Uh, the bus window breaks. Michael Chiesa's got cuts all over his face. He's bleeding. Uh, he can't fight no more. Um, Ray Borg got blood, got glass in his eye, scratched cornea. Uh, as someone who has a scratched retina, that shit freaked me out. Ray Borg can't fight. That's two fights gone. Um, Artem Lobov can't fight because he probably don't have a job no more. It's for being honest with ourselves. That's three fights. Uh, and, uh Rose Namajunas and, and is. Let's remember, guys, uh, if you've ever had an eyelash in your eye and you hate how much that hurts, imagine oh. glass. All you got to say is glass in the eye, and everyone's yeah. like, I'm out. No wonder why Dude, this guy didn't fight. He had fucking glass in his eye. That shit's insane. That shit's like my worst nightmare. Anything with eyes. So I was immediately like, yo, man, fuck Connor. Uh, so that, you got that. Rose Namajunas, who's trying, if you can see the footage of this on Embedded, Rose is trying to act like she's okay. She don't look so okay. Because apparently she was right underneath where that dolly came through the window. And her shit almost got taken out entirely. Rose, thankfully, composes herself, manages to... Decides she's gonna fight still. Puts on an excellent performance. We'll get to that, uh, later. Uh, and then in the, uh, in the middle of all this, um, the New York State Athletic Commission, uh, the next day decides that, and by they, I mean not a doctor. One of their commissioners looks at Max Holloway when he's about 158 pounds and says, nah, man, he can't cut no more weight. He don't look right. Because everybody who looks weight, who cutting weight looks excellent the whole time. Yeah, so they say we, some of the skeletors that come to that, uh, weigh in sometimes. Exactly. <laughs> Connor exactly. At 145. Like I'm worried about that dude's health. I, I don't know how Max looked, but it could have been worse than when you could see some of these dudes like looking like a skull master or some shit. You know, when you can see those ridges in the skull coming through the the skin, it's like, yeah, that that dude maybe. But even they I were mean, okay. Steph, I mean, James Irvin being the most egregious example of all time. I remember we saw that, and both you and me thought he was dead. Just a standing dead man. Yeah, it's just people when they look like, uh, you know. They look like that heroin poster you sometimes see on the bus where this is this is poor Jenny after six months on the needle. Like, we've seen yeah. some people at weigh-ins like that. So, yeah, they decide that Max Holloway can't fight Khabib, um, which is really fucked up because I didn't know I wanted that fight as much as I did until they – I didn't know it was an option. And then it was an option, and they, they took it away it. from me. They just grabbed it right out. I was like, no, sir, you don't get that today. Yeah. It, it's just, you know – it's like someone saying mac and cheese pizza. I don't know that was a thing, but in my head, I'm like, oh, we can get mac and cheese pizza? And then it's gone. No mac and cheese pizza. To be fair, we had that shit. Yeah, it, it wasn't was good. good. That was not that the best example. Analogy. Yeah, it was not good, to fairness. Uh, so so then, they, then, uh, commit, then the UFC's like, no problem. We got Paul Felder. He throws kicks and shit. He weighs 155 pounds. The commission's like, no, no. First they go to Anthony Pettis. I apologize. Anthony Pettis. Pretty Tony Pettis. You know, my man looks fresh to death. He was on a Wheaties box. He was champion. He'll fight the champ. Uh, Anthony Pettis. He was on a Wheaties box. Yeah, my man Anthony. Anthony Pettis, not an idiot. They're like, Anthony, do you want to fight this undefeated Russian who's going to take you, you know, for a fucking spin through the air? On a genetically designed to destroy your type of game plan. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) On one fight, one day notice, and Anthony's like, 
Yeah, man, I'll do it. I'd like my belt back, but I'm, I'm going to need a couple more bucks. And the UFC's like, you're asking for too much. How about we offer you a bus pass? And then Anthony's like, I got a car. I don't need a bus pass. No. So Pettis, they're like, uh, Pettis to his credit uh, today on the MMA Hour, he spun that pretty well. He said, as far as I'm concerned, there was no contract put in front of me. There's not officially an offer until there's a contract in front of me. He did not yeah. paint it that I wanted more money. Yeah, so also, like, you know what? This manager probably did. The UFC, by the way, nickel and diming people in this situation. Classic. Just classic UFC. Uh, so they're like, no problem. Anthony Pettis, we'll go to your opponent, Paul Felder. Um, that's who he was supposed to fight, right? No, he no. was. I apologize. Wait, Paul. Kiesa, who's gone? Paul, he yeah, Paul, pa- Paul Felder is going to fight Ally Quinta. During this whole time, apparently, Ally Quinta wants this fight, and Sean Shelby won't even look at him. Which was my favorite story <laughs> that I heard today. So they go to Paul Felder and they're, and they're like, "All right, Commission, we got Paul Felder. He's the Irish Dragon, I think. He's the Irish Dragon. He knocks fools out. Look at his highlight reel. They're like, they're, and then you know what? The and Nevada, the New York Athletic Commission pulls up the rankings and they're like, Paul Felder ain't ranked. The UFC don't want to admit that their that their rankings are put together by the morning zoo crew at fucking 95.2 Cleveland rocks so you don't think Dana could have went to the IT guy and be like put Yo, that 15 uh, bitch right that's there. what everybody said just put him in there so they're like all right no Paul Felder and then finally a hero emerges you know the hero we need comes out Al Iaquinta, a man they didn't even print out his name for media day. He literally took a piece of printer paper and wrote Rage and Al. All right? Al Iaquinta steps in, fights Khabib. We'll get to that fight. But Conor McGregor. Mike, we all love Conor McGregor. We're all fans. Yes. This is... A level. I mean, let me go with your opinion. Let me just go. I'm not before I get mine. What is your opinion on what this man did to this card? Uh, I normally applaud everything Connor does. Uh, I don't applaud this. Uh, I was talking with my friend Rudy. Uh, he normally gets in and will text me when something crazy happens in the UFC, and he texted me a picture of uh Connor looking like. Stone Cold, you know, because of the glass breaking and all that shit. And he said, Conor Gregor is the man. And I told him, yes, Conor Gregor is the man, but he's also the man that cost a bunch of people money and caused that three fights got canceled off this card because of his stupid stupidity. So there's a line between um, doing outlandish shit to get your name out there. And now he's literally fucking with people's money. Uh, half of the people that were on this card didn't even get a chance. Well, half of the people that got, uh, you know, uh, their fights canceled, they don't even get a chance at their show money. I mean, at their win money. Uh, the card was looking like it was going to be a great card on paper. The card ended up being good, but we lost a few fights that honestly I was looking forward to seeing. Uh, I was actually going to watch the Fox Sports 1 card and and a lot of the Facebook card, and we lost a lot of that. And there comes a point where in every show, the, the what is it called? The, the, the shark gets jumped. You jump the shark, where you just go, all right, this is just ridiculous now. And 
I think with a lot of the general public, or maybe more with the hardcore MMA fans, we, we can't stand some of this bullshit anymore because now it's actively af- affecting people. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's really well put, man. Because, look, I mean, I I think everybody knows I'm a goddamn pro wrestling fan on this podcast, but Mark, Stefan, and I, all big pro wrestling fans when we were kids, you gotta you, you sell the shit, man. You sell it. I get it. And I honestly thought when I heard Connor was showing up to Media Day, I'm like, all right, you know what? This card's been weird. This, we hadn't lost Holloway yet, but I'm like, you know what? Fucking Connor's gonna show up. Talk about motherfuckers not stripping him. Yous'll do nothing. Yous'll strip nothing. He'll, you know, say he runs New York. He'll do some, you know, he'll be at the weigh-ins yelling shit from the crowd. It'll be great. We'll have a lot of fun. But there was a line. He crossed it way. He went way past it. Uh, there's a real good still. There's a good still image of Artem Lobov after Connor throws the the hand truck, and he's kind of holding his face like, "Oh no, oh oh no, what fucking happened?" Uh, yeah, Marcus, your thoughts? Bob, it's just like it's just like you said. Like up until the point where he gets the metal objects to, I don't know. I mean, look at this guy's an athlete. He's cross training. Maybe he's trying to get that angle to, you know, throw the big pole vault thing or some shit, the javelin, whatever. Maybe that's his angle. He's going here, but he escalated. Cause like at the point where him and his goons are just pounding on the bus, it's all good fun, right? Like they're just causing mayhem. No one's seriously hurt. It's when, you know, he crossed that line. And, and, and the shitty part is, is like, he tried to cross it. People stopped him like, don't, this is a line you don't want to cross, bro. And he's like, dude, hold my beer. Let me get this dolly. Fuck <laughs> up my career. Um, it, it's sad, right? It, it's just, it's, it's because like you said, Bob, like he's so good at getting people excited. He was doing everything to do that without crossing that line. And then he crossed it. Right. And now he has all these repercussions and it, and the thing that really crossed it is not just that, like he put people's lives and lives in jeopardy and stuff like that. Is that like, he fucked up my card, man. I was excited for this shit. We all were. And then, you know, just because he couldn't handle, like, not being in the spotlight or some shit, he has to get those headlines. He fucked it up for all of us. And not, not to go on too much of a rant, but this in my head, when all this was going on, I was kind of thinking, like, I think the mentality of Conor McGregor is kind of that of the consistent challenger. Like, he's at, he's on the top right now. He's fucking king of two weight divisions. He should be playing it like fucking Thanos on the throne, just be like, Come to me. I'm the big payday, but he's still doing the things that a challenger does, right? And that's what he's been doing his whole career, right? He's always had these goals that were always beyond his reach, and he kept going for them, right? He kept going for the championship belt. He went for the second belt. He went for the big boxing match. And now he's at the fucking top, right? He's fucking Thanos. Everyone else is the Avengers, and they can't do shit to him. But he's acting like a peasant, right? He's acting like the barbarian that doesn't rule the kingdom but's trying to take it over. And I think that's just like his mentality is that he's always going for that next step. And when you're when you're the king and you hold that belt, it's tough to get motivated because you're not striving to be champion. You're striving to maintain the status quo, and it's hard to get up for that. And I feel like Connor, his mentality is always getting up for shit, right? He psychs himself up. He's doing the impossible. No one believes he can do this shit. He fucking does it. But now he's the champion. Everyone knows that he can starch all these guys. You know, every Everyone knows that him and Habib, he can knock Habib out. Or could he get taken down? We don't know. That's the question. That's what we want to get answered. That's what we're so enthralled with all this stuff. But he's still acting. He's not acting like the king. He's acting like the barbarian at the gate, still trying to get what he wants. But he's got it, right? And I feel like that kind of is the thing that it's like, I thought you were going to be king. What happened? That's a, That was a very good point. Uh, Stefan, your thoughts. But also, I mean, you know the internet's full of Conor McGregor apologists. 
is there any excuse? Because a lot of people are pointing to Khabib and his boys surrounding Artem. I know you're a reasonable adult, but go ahead. Your thoughts. Yeah, it was it was all fake gangster stuff, you know. This is this is hubris at its maximum. That's why all the drug fueled things. Um, I do want to say, uh, Dana White came out of this weekend with the lie of the century. Um, three fights were canceled. Uh, all the fighters who showed weight, uh, they they got their show money. Uh, asked if they would also be given their win money. Dana White was quoted as saying, "We're not that rich." And uh, good job, Dana White. Lie of the century. It's, it's, it's not like Stefan. It's not like they already allocated that money before the event started. It's not like that money exists on a budget because theoretically these fights were going to happen. <laughs> yeah, there was like, no way to know that people might have won those fights and more money would be needed to be paid. It's almost like he's saying, like, we were definitely going to gyp some people at this fight. There's a couple dudes who are not going to get paid regardless of what happened. Because we don't it's have like, money. Do you really think they're like, look, we didn't want to pay Al anything. We had to give Al extra money, oh, man. Al's definitely <laughs> not getting shit if these fights, if these fights get canceled. <laughs> I mean, it's just disappointing. You know, it was childish. Our man, Ariel Helwani, was supposed to go to the Ranger game. But instead, he had to stand outside of a precinct for five hours in the New York winter. You know? People can't even enjoy their lives. And that, that's really all it comes down to in my eyes is you mess with other people's lives, guys who aren't at the top, guys who need these paychecks, guys taking time away from their children, taking time away from their families, and for what, you know? Um, hopefully I mean, they get booked soon, but it's just the, the cascading dominoes are disappointing. And Connor had the love of the people. Let's see how he does with the ire of it. Yeah, uh, I mean, people... People still love John Jones, man. People just like a comeback. But you're a grown man, man. Come on, grown man, man. He's a grown man. Should know better. Yeah. But let, come on, like Mike. But, your father. Your. Gr- I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say, like, like, like you were saying, Mike, with your friend. Um, he saw the shit go down. He's just like, man, Connor's the man, right? So there's definitely fans that don't really think about like, oh, yeah, he like he fucked with all these other fighters, and they don't they don't really know like the sport, right? So they don't know like these dudes sacrificed for like three months to get ready for this fight. And some of them didn't get a fight at all. And then like you talk about Rose, like she got shook and I could see people saying like, man, that's weak. Like it was just a little, you know, a little glass broke, big deal. But like, you have to realize like some of these fighters are superstitious to the T. Like they got to have all their shit in the right order because they need to get in that right mentality. And even though this doesn't seem like a big thing to some people on the outside, like it was a startling thing. And you're trying to get your head focused into you know, lasering up to get ready for that night. So any little thing can kind of throw you off, especially when someone, some fucking dude's attacking your bus, right? It's, like, I yeah. think that's not re- unreasonable to think that might shake you a little. On that point, you know, when I heard the fighters talking, they did not know it was Connor. In the moment this was happening, no one knew it was Connor attacking. And if you look at that entourage, there's a lot of 50 year old men in it. It's not a lot of young active fighters. It is a posse, it is a thug crew. People are like, I don't know if this is a terrorist attack. I don't know if this is about to be some type of shooting incident. There have been so many incidents in our country. If your bus is just suddenly under assault, you do not know what that is. Especially by a bunch of white men. Come on. You think some Nazi shit's going down. <laughs> or, you, or maybe at least the, the real IRA. I mean, consider yeah, man. I mean, you got Russians on the bus. You got Connor on the outside flinging shit at them. Yeah, it was. it's honestly an unfortunate situation. And people are like, oh, the UFC's promoting it. Man, this shit happened. You might as well. I don't even. I'm not gonna. Of all the things I'm gonna blame the UFC for, I got two really: not paying win money and whatever the hell went with Anthony Pettis. But in general, like, I don't blame them for that at all, man. 
you what do you what are we trying to do here? You got to promote this. It happened. It's gonna be on TV anyway. You got HD cameras. Put it on your channel. Just my two cents. Uh, let's get into the fights. Hey, no, um, just, just oh, by the last way, thing, uh, I, I just have a stat stat of the day when it comes to Conor McGregor. So Conor McGregor, he's picked up four belts in his career: uh, the featherweight and lightweight cage warriors belt, and the lightweight and featherweight um, UFC belt. He's also picked up four other things in his illustrious UFC career. A metal chair, a water bottle, a guardrail, and a hand truck. We get it. He's 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 multi-class in his D&D. He's fighter and ranger because the dude's going to throw shit if you give him something. I, I like the pictures people said the only thing Connor will defend is a picture of Artem. That made me laugh. <laughs> those, are, those are pretty good. Uh, so yeah, he got arrested by the way, um, a bunch of counts of assault. Uh, he might've got an aggravated assault in there too, Mark, like, right. I think I'm aggravated. Yeah. He's, uh, he's, he's not going to see a jail cell. Don't everybody get too excited. The civil suit will be fun. No, yeah. He, he's going to see a checkbook and he's going to be yeah. signatures. He might not want to sign. And Ray Borg are going to get paid. I would, if I'm Alex, the people who are going to fight Rayburg and Kiesa, I would sue him also. He only got half his chest, half their chest. They too. Yeah, but with the Kiesa, you'd be like, man, if I beat Pettis, I was going to get a title shot. Well, you, guys, um, well, you guys had sympathy for Borg. Borg did not have a lot of sympathy on the uh, internet after that footage went out, uh, though, because he looked fine on that bus. He, he was yucking he it up. It? He didn't <laughs> too affected. He, he also had, glasses on. He also wears glasses, so I'm kind of thinking, like, he's got some protective eyewear. But yeah, well, then, he, then he had to post his medical report. <laughs> at the same and, uh, time, me and Bobby both know that uh, those guys, when they sue, they are going to invoke a nice, nifty little acronym. I-I-E-D. What does that stand for, Bobby? Let's think back to first year tour. In- intentional inflection of emotional distress. Bingo. That's a good one. Yeah, that's... I got a good grade in that class, guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, this it was a rough situation. Let's get into the fights. Uh, we're going to really talk about the main two, the two title fights, quite frankly. Uh, those are the relevant things that come out of this card. But just real quickly, a nine-fight UFC card, I'm totally 100% on board with. I'm all in. Especially for someone who's been to UFC events with like 13 event, 13 fights. Shit can get tiring. So nine fights. Not a bad number. Uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov took on Ally Quinta. And I really wanted Al to win. God, I wanted Al to win. Uh, I mentioned my problems with Khabib. Uh and I'm going to mention them in a second here now, but overall assessment was Khabib had a pretty dominant performance. Um, there was some criticism for rounds three and four where he wasn't doing takedowns and we were trying to see his striking game, which offensively, yeah, and defensively, oh, offensively actually looked okay. Uh, I'm going to turn to Mark here in a second, but I mentioned the Khabib thing because at the end of his fight, he got on the microphone and asked Putin to pardon his friend who's in jail for embezzlement and organized crime. And he also congratulated Putin on his victory in a sham election. So yeah, UFC lightweight champion. Marcus, though, um, your opinion of uh, Khabib's performance against uh, a very game, quite frankly, Ally Quinta. Yeah, um, I do think that when you're kind of assessing this fight, you did kind of break it down. Uh, the th- few things I want to kind of spotlight was one, I was, as someone who hasn't listened to too much of the commentary, I was actually... In- I think you and Steph both, might, even maybe Mike brought it up too, like 
Jimmy Smith, he's filling that slot in pretty well. I was actually really impressed with his analysis throughout this fight. And he he spotlighted a few things that Habib was doing that were really interesting and of other le level that the average MMA fan isn't going to know, right? And what that is is like Habib's takedowns, obviously, right? But what he was doing was he had Al against the cage and he sucks up these singles. And we've seen it so many times. A single leg is an easy kind of takedown attempt that usually gets stalled out. It's easy to cross face. It's easy to sprawl out and get away from it. But Habib sucks that shit in and just tightens those hips and just drops Aliquinta down with ease. And I liked how Jimmy really noted those techniques and said, like, look, this is a hard technique to do. Usually guys have to get outside of the cage to get the space to pull up a single leg to get it. And Habib's just able to get it right on the cage. Also, the first... Habib's first takedown attempt, do you guys remember it? The first time he shot, he did one of those level changes and just had his arms outstretched, like, oh, just give me anything to grab onto. And Al Alquinta was able to stop that one. And those kind of takedown attempts look real amateurish against anyone else. But then you see the next time Habib does the takedown attempt, he just gets an ankle, a fucking ankle. And so many dudes get ankles when they go for shots because it's you know the farthest part of the leg they can get onto. And dudes just rip that leg right out. There, you know, it's a really hard takedown to get from just holding on to a dude's ankle. And Habib gets that fucking ankle. And he goes, no, nah, no, nah, my friend. You're going straight up. He does a high leg single and trips it out. And I think that's really the the other level, right, when we talk about Habib's game. His, his grappling is just on point. And not only these takedown attempts, but when he gets on top of you. That's what we saw in the first two rounds, right? Habib doing what he needed to do, getting um, Al on the, on the mat. And then, you know, wrestling him and wearing him down. And like Bobby said, the... the Fight took a bit of a turn in the in the third and fourth rounds where Habib shot a couple shots in that third round, but he didn't stick with them. And Habib's wrestling game isn't like GSP's or Koscheck, where his shot is what takes the guy down. Like GSP, when he shoots on you, he's so fucking deep on that double. It's already done before you have a time to sprawl. Habib is more like he gets a single. He's got to work two or three maneuvers to get it done. And in the third round, he wasn't doing those two or three maneuvers, right? He got the ankle again. He just let Aliquinta uh, get out of it. He got double underhooks in. He just let Aliquinta kind of get out of it. And then he resorted to his, his striking, right? And this is where a lot of the criticism came, not in just in Habib's game plan, but also some of the commentary. Joe Rogan, I think, was a little harsh on what Habib was able to accomplish in the ring. Yeah, he um, and he tried to address it today, uh, just as a side note about... He wasn't trying to be overly critical as much as he needed something to talk about. And when Khabib's as dominant as he is, he was trying to look for flaws other people could exploit. But it might have come off so a I bit think, Yeah, you can easily look at it and just be like, yeah, Khabib's not really going to his bread and butter in these rounds to really, you know, not just solidify that he's winning these rounds, but maybe even put Al away. He's, he's reverting to his stand-up, which is not his, you know, bread and butter. But I actually was fairly impressed. That fucking jab was on point. Like, he was messing Al up. And... I kind of have to think, you know, I don't know what's in Habib's head. I don't know why he didn't shoot and go harder for those takedowns in those rounds. But my gut reaction is that he didn't feel a lot of danger from Al at that point. And I think in the third and fourth rounds, Al was kind of just weathering the storm and maybe waiting for the fifth round to give a big final push, which I think he actually did. But it definitely looked like in the fourth round, he's just waiting for that one punch to materialize. And as he's trying to get in the range, he's just eating jabs, getting punched up, getting his face bloodied up. And then it wasn't that fifth round where I think Al kind of knew, like, it's make or break. I'm down on the scorecards. I got to throw with a little more, more abandonment. I got to get in the pocket a little bit more. And I think when he put that pressure on Habib, Habib went back to what he knew best. He went back to the the, uh, the wrestling, took Al down again, got his back controlled. It, it, it was a dominant performance. It's kind of what we thought. I think going into this fight, we didn't get to break it down, right? Because we fucking didn't know last week this fight was happening. But 
I think what a lot of us looked at was that Al's a pretty good wrestler, right? Maybe he can negate some of that from Habib. And he, he's been showing good hands late, lately, right? He's showing heavy hands and getting guys knocked out. So maybe he has something for Habib. But, I mean, really, a good wrestler isn't the kind of archetype that's going to beat Habib, right? You can't fight fire with fire when you got a match and dude's got a flamethrower, right? So it was unfortunate, but we kind of knew the outcome going into it. But good showing by Habib. And he got some good rounds in there. Yeah, his- he mentioned that. I apologize. I, no. I, he did mention he was trying to get his. He's like he was. He says it's hard to mimic actual cage time, which I really don't like the excuse of. I was just trying to see how long I can make this thing go, and I was just getting minutes in. Yeah, because I, I don't believe. I quite, fr- I quite frankly don't believe it. Generally speaking, I think if you could end the motherfucker, you would end the motherfucker, and I don't think he could. To be honest, yeah, I think Al was just still there. I think but you I thought. I thought I was a little crit- I was critical of Khabib, but I also thought, man, I thought about the week he's had. <laughs> and he's had like nine different opponents. So that went as good as possible, to be honest, in some, re- some regard. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, let's go to, I mean, or shit, before we go to the women's title match, uh, I want to ask real quickly, where the fuck are we going with this? Because Khabib says he's the undisputed lightweight champion. Let me tell you right now, I don't know if Khabib's any more lightweight champion than uh, Tony Ferguson is. We got a lot of weight classes where the champion did not beat the previous champion. Uh, 145, 155, 185, 205. Four of them. It's kind of unprecedented. <laughs> That's four weight classes with I the dudes. Say- I mean. Good. I was going to say, that's how many men's weight classes are there? Uh, seven or eight? Yeah, eight. About. I, think, I think eight. This may or may like, not answer your question, oh. uh, Bob, but for me, the person who lost the most this weekend by far, just from a cachet, financial opportunity standpoint, it's Tony Ferguson by far. And I don't think enough people have... So, so many things happened. I think people really are not paying attention to how much Tony lost in this weekend. Um, you know, his his interim belt was simply absolved, it seems. Like, it, it just doesn't exist anymore. It's like it never happened because it wasn't real, just as I've been saying. But at the same time, personally, this will mean nothing to him, as we've joked, like, last week with Mark's fandom of Benson Henderson. Um, the personal winner to me is also Tony, because now I believe Tony is the chosen one. Habib showed enough holes in his game that the ferocity... That is Tony Ferguson that Mark always talks about. He, he doesn't stop. He doesn't relent. He, you know in the fourth and fifth round, it doesn't matter how behind he is. He's, he's coming for that scalp, so to speak. That's, um, that's an excellent point. Uh, I was going to ask Mike the same thing. Do you think – I mean, we're talking about Tony Ferguson, quite frankly, because I'm looking at Conor McGregor as he can go fight whoever he wants now. He does not, he's not tied to any weight class. Do you, do you look at that fight, Mike, and think, man, Tony Ferguson can do some stuff here? No. 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 Uh, <laughs> Hot take right there, son. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying Tony Ferguson isn't a really good fighter. I'm not saying he's not likely top two 155ers in the world. But goddamn it. Until I see someone really actually stop Khabib's takedowns, I'm not I'm not banned against this dude. Are you crazy? <laughs> I think this is a great segue into the next fight. You know why, Bob? Yeah. Because uh, a certain man who claims his favorite fighter 
shock the world, gets that rematch, and he, even though Mike's already seen it at this point, he, he still don't believe it. I yeah, saw I, mean, it. I saw it, but I don't believe it. Are you I love, let's talk about it. It could be that you'll believe it happened. Yeah, I mean, let's get into this thing, man. Because I mean, we got Mark and Mike over there living on Yoana Island. I'm it's the goddamn body. biggest. It's cold I, over I, here. I, I'm the biggest goddamn Yoana Mark in the world. Or at least on this podcast. And even I, I was just like, uh-uh, she ain't winning this shit. Uh, Steph, I'm going to go to you in a sec. But just real quickly, those who didn't see the fight, Ioana won one to two rounds, depending on who you ask. She lost one and two and one, two and five. She won four. Three was the round where I, I thought she probably won still. I remember when the fight was over, everybody in my house, we all thought three, two um, to Rose. Stefan, uh, what do we see in this fight, and what was your assessment of uh, Rose Namajunas's, uh and Joanna Andrzejczyk's performances? Um, before I get into that, since this was the first fight I hopped to in the card, I will say my immediate reaction was, based on the amount of wooing I heard in two minutes, my first thought was, Brooklyn deserved to lose those three fights. They deserved this shit show, because this crowd is trash. And Ooh, that was my I'll first take. take. <laughs> but you know I hate wooing. I, I can't stand it. I'm I'm there with Ariel and Luke, who consider the wooers among the scum as uh what's that Michael Scott joke of uh if Bin Laden, uh Hitler and Toby were in a room and I had two bullets or whatever. <laughs> I forget how that joke goes. Oh, he's got, he, he was shoot. You know he shoot to, uh, He shoot Toby twice, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not. Sh- what, what's a wooer? What do you mean? Woo! That shit. <laughs> People who yell woo out of context to anything that's happening in the fight. They're just yelling it to be the center of attention. You you mean like how people used to yell it um, in those little video ends in a TRL? Like, I voted for the Backstreet Boys because... Do you know who Ric Flair is, Mike? Mike, do you know who Ric Flair is? Do I know who Ric Flair is? Yeah, I think I do. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. That's what they're doing. Mike, you've heard it a thousand times. You know what it is. That's that's terrible. Who doesn't like Ric Flair? Yeah, He's Mike's right. just getting on to this pro wrestling thing. If Rick, new and fresh, if Rick Flair, if Rick Flair is there, go ahead and woo. If Rick Flair is not there, shut the fuck up, Mike. I think you missed my point that it's out of context to anything that's actually happening. Gotcha. Yeah, and that's you know why pro- it's abrasive. You know, yeah. pro if wrestling is pro- timed with knee strikes and elbows. Okay, fine. If it's just to fill dead air, that's horrible. Anyways, yeah, the fight. To the fight. Um, first, I want to say props to Joanna Janjacek because I was a little critical of her coming into this fight. I thought she was making a lot of excuses. I thought she was kind of coming off as sour grapes in uh, her post, you know, Rose world where she was talking about weight cuts and not feeling right. But I think from watching this fight, she was both right and she was wrong. She was right. She looked worlds better. She was lighter on her feet. She took strikes better. But she was also wrong in, I think at the end of the day, Rose is just the better fighter right now. You know, we, it was a far closer fight. Joanna absolutely acquitted herself. And to that point, I think it was a, I think it was a tremendous fight. It's just high quality MMA. That was a great performance. I, I, I could understand the argument for Joanna, but I think most people who saw it know they're in the minority. I would have given her three and four pretty clearly. Uh, to me, entering the fifth round was very much two and two. I And that's what made it so exciting is, wow, this could go either way. And, you know, Bob talks about it all the time. That's the champion's heart right there. Adversity, that's coming back. That's, 
you know, you're not just a front runner. And that was kind of maybe one of the concerns on Joanna because Rose was the first one who didn't let Joanna take center, didn't let Joanna bully the pace and everything. You know, she fought back. And to the first two rounds, we kind of saw that is Rose's, her movement, her combinations were just better. Her timing on her counters was just better. But you saw Joanna do what we always wish Jose Aldo would do, and that was work the leg kick. The leg kick, you know, they, they, some, I, I, I don't know if it was Smith or Rogan who said it, but that's money in the bank right there. That is investment for later rounds, and you saw it. Because sure enough, come that third round, that's when it really started happening. Rose, her, her side-to-side movement wasn't quite there. She was thinking about the leg kick. Therefore, she wasn't throwing combinations with the punches anymore. And that allowed Joanna room to come back. But so that's why I thought it was again super exciting in my head it being two two going to that fifth round. But then you got to see Rose have the heart of a champion there, right? Because her leg battered, her movement slowed. She just grit down and she threw. She threw harder. You know her her combinations weren't there. The movement wasn't there, but she was landing more forceful punches. That fifth round was still close in my eyes, but that's what it came down to: is the punches that Rose landed were thrown a lot harder than the ones Joanna did. Her, as as busted as Rose's leg was, Joanna's both of her eyes were getting shut in that fight. Um, they were just two battered women. Great show of respect by both of them. You know, no one had sour grapes in that. I think Joanna had a new respect for Rose. If if Joanna had convinced herself in her head that it was a fluke, she lost the first time. She knew that Rose was a legit champion and a legit fighter in this fight. Um, just all around great fight. I think both women you know, have something that I think they gained in this fight. Unfortunately, Joanna's in that territory of you've lost twice to the champ now. So uh, unfortunately, I think she's on the back burner until something happens at the top. Um, that said, where we go from here, I think Jessica Andrade is waiting in line and she, I think she's a nightmare matchup for Rose. Yeah, Steph, I was going to say that's the clear number one contender at the moment. And I don't, is it, <laughs> I don't like that. I don't like a lot of matchups for Rose, but I also Rose keeps improving so much from fight to fight. She's still in that stage where I don't know. Shit, maybe maybe she's just you know gonna make another giant leap ahead before that next one. You see what I'm saying? She makes such big leaps between her fights. It seems like it could be you know, and maybe I'm overstating it. I think um, was it Mark earlier talking about Habib and Pettis of a fighter genetically engineered to exploit your weaknesses. Based on what we currently know, that's kind of Andrade to Rose, you know. Maybe Rose gets stronger in the clinch, um, but I think she, she showed, she held her own in the clinch against Ioana, but by no means did she control it. And that's a place where Jessica Andrade can really be lethal. And that, that was kind of the tale of the tape on Rose earlier on, is she has great submissions, but she doesn't necessarily have great takedowns. She's not necessarily super strong. You know, she's really come on as a striker, so maybe she uses her range and her distance on Jessica, but I think that's a very interesting tale of the tape is if Jessica gets in close, uh, th- this is a different level of strength than Rose. anything Rose has dealt with. Yeah, it's uh, a good point. we got to see where we go from here. Maybe uh, maybe Rose goes on vacation or something, man. She got two... Oh, she beat tougher than numbers. The best woman's fighter, I thought, at least, was Ioana and Jacek. Better than all the rest of them, quite frankly, I thought, pound for pound. So that hell of a performance for her. Um, I was almost more impressed this time. So great performance for her. Uh, before we start picking this fight card, um, by the way, UFC 223, nine fights. 
other stuff worth mentioning, um, quite frankly, you should watch Olivier Aubin-Mercier smoke Evan Dunham in a minute because he's on a roll, man. Got to give this guy some attention. I found a gif of that one. It's short enough. Yeah. And Zabit Magomeda Sharapov is special. <laughs> and we're all honestly... going to have to learn how to say his name, just like all these other yeah. Do we have we're a good gonna... nickname for him yet that just completely well, I mean... expels his last name? Well, I'm not sure I mentioned this on the show itself. On Wikipedia, he has another name, ZM Punk. No, that's not bad. Works for me. So I have to go with that. Zabit's not too bad. I think Gambit, Zabit. I got it. Yeah. Uh, uh, before we pick these fights for this next card, this card next week, which is just a goddamn, it's a deep, deep card. Like, goddamn deep card. Um, Mike, I'm looking for you on a one-word answer to this. Brock Lesnar's coming back, folks. His new UFWB contract allows for a UFC fight in 2018. Mike, are you excited? Yeah. The hell yeah. That's right. That's two words. Brock Lesnar. Uh, I, I, you only had one word restriction. I could, you know, I'm in charge, man. I'll just say whatever I want. Uh, let's get into these fucking fights, guys, because I before we pick these four main card fights, this is this is actually a thing. I kind of wish I would fight pass. Because I want to see my guy, Diego, my guy Yushin Okami, come back and fight Diego Lima. Because I still don't believe where it says Yushin Okami weighs 170 pounds. Because that's a large man. He's doing it. Can you believe yeah. that Yushin Okami is the listed favorite in that fight? Diego Lima gets knocked out all the time, man. I mean, but <laughs> I've wrong... seen Yushin Okami in the year 2018. And uh, <laughs> yeah. it just doesn't that's look not good. good. Uh, that's, uh, that's a rough Go one. Go watch uh, some OA tapes against stuff. You'll feel better. And I, quite frankly, uh, there's I, uh, my man Tim Boach gonna take on Ant- uh, Anthony Carlos Jr. as Mark likes to call Ant- Antonio Carlos Jr. as Mark likes to call him. Uh, he's fighting. Uh, we got also Wilson Hayes versus John Moraga. It's a sick fucking fight. Yeah, there's a lot of good prelim fights, but let's get into this main card. Um, this is what we like to call a goddamn banger because this has Justin Gaethje in it. And it doesn't matter who Justin Gaethje fights; it's gonna be a goddamn banger. Justin Gaethje is taking on Dustin Poirier in a five-round main event. Um, well, what are the betting odds on this one, Stefan? Do you have it up? Yeah, it is um, very close, but Dustin Poirier is actually the slight favorite at minus 140 and plus 120 to Justin Gaethje. I want to say Poirier is coming off of a pretty good win, too. I'm trying to remember what it was, but uh, he's he had a few, actually. He, he TKO'd Pettis. Pretty Tony. Yeah. Took him out there. Uh, he was on his way to beating up Alvarez. Yeah, there's some illegal ass knees going on. Alvarez. That was yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was a great for Eddie. Justin Gaethje's coming off that goddamn war with Eddie Alvarez, um, where he got knocked out for the first time ever. Which you got to wonder, is it the first of many to come? But let me go first to our guy, uh, our guy Lavender Gooms here. Gaethje coming in slight underdog. We're fighting in, where the fuck are they? Arizona. Glendale. Uh, Glendale. Makes you wish Bendo was still in the UFC. Um, Gaethje's actually from Arizona, too. Didn't know that. Mike, what do you got on this one? Gaethje, uh, Poirier, what do you, who do you got getting it done? I've got Poirier in this one. Uh, I think with Gaethje, even before this knockout, that knockout loss he had against Alvarez, uh, he was always living on the edge. He was always the type of guy that uh, he'll take one to make one. 
and uh, Poirier hits pretty hard himself. And Poirier, I think, is a lot more is a much more technical striker than than Gaethje is. Uh, I think he'll be able to to slip Gaethje's big punches and uh, connect a lot more often. Uh, I don't think he'll get drawn into a to a slugfest with Gaethje like he wants. And uh, if that doesn't happen, then I don't think Gaethje will have much of a shot. All right, so uh, Mike, you keeping track on the picks for us this time, or who's doing that? I can do it. Yeah, I got him. I got him. I got him. Nothing. Steph oh, got Steph's it. got him. Steph's got him. Um, I'm gonna make my pick. Um, I'm picking Justin Gaethje because I'm waving that Justin Gaethje flag here, as you guys know. Um, something I actually disagree with you, Mike, on is if there's anything I'm positive about is that this is gonna be a slugfest because Dustin Poirier gets emotional in his fights. And can make some mistakes. And I think if Justin Gaethje's perfectly capable of drawing him into this type of fight, because Dustin Poirier likes to, as much as he wants to be a technical fighter, Justin Gaethje likes to fucking throw down and show that he's the baddest motherfucker. And he might still be, but I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with Justin Gaethje because I, I don't know. This going to be two cars driving into each other. One of them is going to survive. I'm going with Justin Gaethje. Uh, Stefan, what do you think? <laughs> I'm going to say pause. I want to hear Mark's pick. <laughs> no, no. Uh, someone with a sober reflection on this thing? Good idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm scared, right? <laughs> because I'm agreeing with Mike. And then the last time we did, it was us <laughs> picking Joanna. And I was like, that didn't turn out well. And this is another really tough fight to and. And I think it, I think the analysis that both Mike and Bobby gave, I totally agree with. And I'm just I'm thinking in the same mindset that Mike is that like Dustin's got a lot of tools he can use. I mean, Gagey does too. He doesn't utilize his low kicks as much as he should. He doesn't use a lot of his kickboxing. He likes to get in the brawls. At the same time, like Bobby's right too. Like Dustin does like to get in firefights, right? I'm hoping he plays it smart. He picks his shots better. He plays it like he did against. Eddie and just picks them apart and uses the whole tool set. I think if he does that, he can be successful. But I mean, end of the day, toy uh, coin toss on this one. I fucking love and hate this fight. I'm going to love to watch it. I hate trying to pick a winner out of it because it's just flipping a coin. So I'm going with Mar Dustin, Mar but I'm not confident. Marcus question. Yeah. Uh, I have it in my head that this is roughly around the time Dustin Poirier loses a fight. Like we're getting pretty close to a title shot. This seems like a good time to get derailed. No, he, he that's in my head. He has that. This is the one. Is he gets yeah. He gets a little run and he stumbles. Right. And he gets a little run and he stumbles. Um, and this could be the case. I mean, really, it's just it's a great fight. It's a fan fight. It's a tough one to pick. Uh, because they're both just gonna go out there and let it fly. And anytime you have two fighters that are gonna engage in that kind of fight, it's really tough to know who is gonna be able to pick that spot and find that spot to really exploit the other guy. I'm just a little bit more confident. And Dustin, I like how he throws straight punches over looping punches. He might be able to get out of the pocket and counter or something. But tough fight to pick. But, man, it's going to be a fun one to watch. Ooh, it's going to be great. Stefan, why don't you round this out and join me. Come on, man. It went well last week. Join I mean, me. I think this worked perfectly, and I'm glad I asked Mark to go because uh, MMA math would dictate Poirier greater than Alvarez, Alvarez greater than Justin. But the version of the Eddie that beat Gaethje was the most technical Eddie Alvarez I've ever seen. That was the most like pure boxer Eddie we'd ever seen at any point in his career. And yeah, I don't, I don't know what Mike is talking about, about technical Dustin. Dustin is a brawler. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I, I've seen Dustin get put out by uppercuts. Um, Zombie hit a really good one on him. And that's one of Justin's best weapons. 
So yeah, it, it's kind of that might be the tale of the fight to me is is his straight versus Justin's uppercut. But home hometown, Justin he, he's a brawler, but I I think he's a smart fighter too. So I like him to actually learn from where he messed up. And yeah, it's going to be beautiful violence either way. Uh, let's pick. Uh, I don't know why it's listed second. We're not going to pick this fight next. We're going to pick Carlos Condit and Alex Oliveira next. Uh, Carlos Condit was supposed to take on Matt Brown. Uh, Matt Brown tore his ACL. Uh, Alex Oliveira stepping in on looks like about two weeks notice. Uh, last time we saw Cowboy Oliveira, he got uh, his ass whooped by Yancy Medeiros. Um, that's not fair. It was a barn burner of a fight, but he came out on the sh- uh, on the losing end there. Uh, Carlos Condit hasn't fought in a while, right, guys? My miss- I mean, did he- have we not seen him? Yeah, he fought last December. Yeah, end of December. Neil Magny. fight? Oh, that one didn't look great. He kind of got taken down at will in that one. Um, coming into this fight, it looks like Oliveira is the favorite on short notice. Shit. Minus 200 favorite on short notice. Carlos Condit plus 170. Um, Stefan, I'm going to start with you this time. What do you got? Um, I'm, uh, I was slightly surprised I was going to go this way, and I was also slightly surprised at the uh, betting line, but I'm going Brazilian Cowboy. Carlos, I just don't like how he looks. Um, he came back after a long time. He's flirted with retirement, and fighting's a young man's game. There's a certain point where it just goes for fighters. Maybe Carlos come proves me wrong, but he was a fighter known for his wars, and wars don't age well on fighters. So, the younger guy here for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I love Carlos Condit, uh, but I, I'm going with you too. I'm, gonna, I'm going Alex Oliveira. I think Carlos is done. Um, I don't think Oliveira's going to make weight, though. I'm just putting that out there. He's a large fucking man. It's a lot of weight to cut on short notice. I'll kick that ass, right? That's what he do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you cut the year of missing weight is good now. It's good for you. I can to miss I mean, weight, and he got the shot over Felder. Felder made the weight. See, it pays to miss weight. I mean, it's worth mentioning. This is also uh, Alex Oliveira, who showed up six pounds over when he fought Will Brooks when he was fighting at one fifty-five, knocked out Will Brooks, and then taunted him afterwards. So it's Alex Oliveira. Um, Marcus, you going to join us over here, or you got the natural born killer getting it done? I'm such an idiot, Bobby. <laughs> such a <laughs> fool. Why do I think Carlos Condit's going to win? He hasn't looked good in forever. Uh, I, I am going with Carlos, and it's just... to be clear. I hope you, Marcus. To be clear, I hope you're right. Oh, I know. I know you hope I'm right, but uh, maybe it's just you know when you're at the top for so long, you just start making bad calls. You know, you're not seeing things straight. I, I don't know because I mean I think when you look at papers, it really the question should be like, does Carlos still have anything left in the tank? I think is really the question, and I think Steph and Bobby, I don't necessarily think you're you're, you're saying with your picks that he doesn't. It might be more so that Alex Alex Oliveira is a really good fighter and he's going to give Carlos a tough test. And for some reason, I think Carlos is going to be able to pull it off. I don't feel confident in it. I shouldn't. It's a bad pick, but I'm the one making it, so maybe I just like to see things burn. I don't know. Mike, you gonna make a bad pick too? I do not think that. Uh, I think this man has three quarters of, of his body out of the door. Uh, let's just finish kicking him all the way out. He's going to lose. All right, so we got three for Cowboy Oliveira, one for 
natural born killer. I respect sad, Mark. Mark. He, he, even though Condit wasn't a pride guy, he, Mark is our resident pride never die. He's uh, the heroes never fade. He, I always believe they got one more left. But uh, hey, uh, once in honestly, a while, it's right. It's not even any of that. I don't know why I'm picking him. It's just my head, my heart saying Condit, right? Right? And I was yeah. like, I guess. Well, you know, he does, you, we're used to picking. Carlos Cotter doesn't have that many losses up until the most recent two years, oh, man. It's like, dude, you got a lot of pink at the top of this chart, boy. This is not a good <laughs> sign for me picking you. But I don't know. Sometimes your heart and your, your gut just say one thing, and your brain doesn't agree with it, but you pick it. And we'll see. Maybe I'm a genius. You know, Carl- next week, I'm a genius. Um, I agree with you, Bobby. Carlos Condit doesn't have that many losses until recently. But as the great rough. poet and sage... As a great poet and sage, Janet Demita Joe Jackson once said, what have you done for me lately? Thank you, Fair. Mike. <laughs> Fair enough. Thank you. Uh, Israel Adesanya taking on Martin Vittori. Um, Israel Adesanya, you might know from UFC 221, where he's styled all over Rob Wilkinson, and then mock pissed on the cage. It was pretty fucking great, if we're being honest with ourselves. Uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> um... He's taken on Marvin Vittori, who is making his fifth UFC fight. And I can't remember any of these motherfuckers. Um, look, let's be honest with ourselves. Um, despite the minus 260 plus 220 betting line, uh, Martin Vittori is being set up to get his ass knocked out by Israel Adesanya. So I'm taking Israel Adesanya. Uh, what do you think, Stefan? I think this is a showcase fight for Israel. He's the next big hype train um it's more so gonna be interesting if anyone doesn't want to pick him i'm i got real questions about some of these betting lines by the way marcus what do you got here yeah i i'm with you guys i think this is the guy i saw some video of and they're like he's a monster i'm pretty sure that that was this guy so yeah i'm going with him mike run it yeah i said i told the man my i told my man mock pissed on the cage mike's in right there it doesn't it oh, didn't yeah. even matter how many look I, I didn't even need to know about the other guy. He could have been fighting fucking Habib. I would have still picked that guy. Um round opening this main opening <laughs> opening this main card. Courtney Cast Iron Casey. Um I didn't just invent her name. I, did I just give her a nickname that doesn't exist? I was pretty sure it was that. Um Works for me. It is Courtney, cast iron, yeah. yeah. That is? All right. Courtney Cast Iron Casey taking on the karate hottie, Michelle Watterson. Courtney Casey coming off of a loss to Felice Herrig. Uh, split decision back in December. Uh, our, girl, our girl Michelle's lost two straight fights, losing to Rose Namajunas and Tisha Torres in uh, back-to-back fights. Uh, last one being in December. Come, uh, Courtney Casey's the favorite in this in this fight card, in this fight, which when I said I have issues with his betting lines, this is, I don't get entirely what's going on here. Um, she's minus one, thir- 120 to Michelle Watterson's plus 100. Mark, what you got, brother? Yeah, I'm going with Michelle. I- I'm a little perplexed with that line, too. I mean, Courtney Casey is, you know, she's a good, solid fighter, but haven't really seen her get to that higher echelon. She's, you know, dropped a couple fights where she kind of needs to get a streak going. Um, I just like Michelle in this fight. I think Courtney is going to be a tough out and could challenge her, and this could... Maybe we start reassessing the ceiling that Michelle has on her. If she loses this fight, you know, it will be three in a row. The other two losses to Rose and Tisha, I can't take a lot away. Those are top tier girls. One's fucking holding the belt right now. And the other, I think, is well on her way. So um, I don't think those losses hold a lot of water with me. So I got Michelle in this one. Mike. 
You know, uh, you can't take much away for her losses. And Bobby touched on he was a little perplexed as to the betting line. So you can't take much away for her losses. But now kind of looking at her UFC career, you can take a little away from her, the wins she's had. Because, I mean, she beat um, everyone's a peasant, Angela Magana. And she also beat Paige Van Zandt, which, as time goes by, that seems much less impressive. So, we described Courtney Casing as middling, but in the last three years, Michelle Watterson hasn't really been much better than that with a 2-2 two and two record. And even those two wins aren't, you know, they're eh. Um, I mean, I'm still going to pick Michelle Watterson, but I can understand why Wait. it's... Uh, after after all that, you're not picking the lady. You just made a pretty good case for the other lady. I'm like, still picking Michelle Watterson because I still just think she's better than Courtney Casey. But <laughs> before I was about to start talking, I was originally going to say, oh, well, Michelle Watterson, she's one of the top five uh, strawweights in the world. And I did some research as to who she's fought in the last couple of years. And it's kind of, can you really say that? Can you really say she's one of the best strawweights in the world? And you have there's a good case you could say she's not but she's still better than courtney casey man mike goes out there almost convinces me to switch my goddamn pick and then he's like nah man i'm going the other way i'm sticking with michelle no um, problem i'm trying to i'm i'm not i'm not trying to lose ground in these picks i had a horrible showing last year so you're I'm, a sec you're tied we're all bunched together right now I'm, I'm finally making ground up i got michelle watterson also but I'm really questioning it. Mike made a hell of an argument. <laughs> Stefan, what do you got? <laughs> I mean, it's, of course, you should come to It's proper that you come to me last. I don't not pick Michelle Watterson. Like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I've been following Michelle Watterson's career for a long time. I'm really attached to her entire family via Instagram. I've seen so many posts with her daughter, her husband. I know about her brother, her mom. I'm like, I'm an extended lurker on that Watterson family. Um, love them. Filipino? No, half Thai. Okay. Uh, the thing with her, it's kind of always been my concern for her is she's an inflated straw weight. Um, she made her name as an atom weight. And even coming into the UFC, I always kind of wondered if she'd be a little small. And you've seen in her losses, right? She, she can be outpowered by people. She can be controlled by people. So there's always that concern, but she's... She's got star potential, so you know I I don't know that she'll get to the belt, but she should be able to trade wins and losses here and there, and I I, I like her to get this win. All right, clean sweep. Um, is that the only one we did? we well, we clean swept uh, Israel also, huh? Like I said, that's that's the next hype train. So I think that fight is there to kind of give that guy a platform. Man, I'm definitely watching Tim Boach go out there though. My man Tim's only got a few more left. He's gonna go out there. He's gonna get. He's, he beat Johnny Hendricks, man. He beat. He beat a champ. He's out there beating champs, folks. Gonna take out this Carl's Jr. kid next. No problem. The barbarian getting back in that top ten slowly but surely. Uh, all right, let's do. Um, let's do memoirs of a fight fan. Stefan, I believe your idea this week was, what were our favorite moments? You, you know, you say it. You know it better than I do. <laughs> Sorry, did you go to me? Yeah, no, I was saying, say what it is. I was trying to describe what it's supposed to be. You tell me, tell us the topic, and then give us your pick. Oh, for the memoirs? Yes. Yeah. Sorry, I actually, I didn't mention. I had to step away. My dog was going crazy. I had to let her out. But um, yeah, memoirs, we, we've taken a couple negative turns lately, and there was a chance to go negative with this one. 
um, with a little inspiration of the uh, one Conor McGregor. But I wanted to do something a little happier, and that was uh, in honor of, you know, I've been a little critical from everything I'd seen of her in the pro wrestling sphere thus far. But by all accounts, uh, Ronda Rousey went out there and had herself a WrestleMania moment. Um, apparently, she looked great. She looked like the athlete that she is. Um, and I think people really dug it. Uh, I didn't catch it myself besides some highlights. But, hey, I've always been a Ronda fan. And, and I, I want to see her be happy and succeed. So on that note, was uh, what are some of our favorite MMA crossover moments? That is to say, any MMA fighter, like, you know, succeeding or doing something big outside of the specifically MMA sphere. Um, you know, what other forms of entertainment? And uh, if you want me to go first, uh, I feel like it's come up before and it might be hijacking something Mark might mention because it's his boy. Uh, but when Overeem won K1, that was awesome. <laughs> you know, uh, he, he was at the peak of his notoriety for me at that time. I've mentioned many times that the Ream was one of my all-time favorite like documentary series across any subject, and it was going strong. They were actually somewhat in regular circulation at the time of that K1 tournament. Great music, great beats, and that was that was Mega Ream. That was Uber Ream. That was roided out. That's him going to Thailand and this small five-foot woman needing to use all of her body to massage his like trap muscle. Like, it was absurd. He was like a He-Man action figure come to life. It was just exciting. And at that point, I hadn't watched a lot of kickboxing. You know, I don't think Glory was really a thing yet. K1 was still the big dog. And, you know, like MMA, Mark has kind of been the source to introduce me and show me it. And I was just so excited for every step of the way. You know, we like Gohan Saki was in there. Tyron Spong was in there. And, you know, Mark hyped up the the fight that never was. And, again, it came up in the past was uh, Peter Ertz knocking out Semi Schiltz and that not being a match. But, you know, it, that's when something when something's so fresh to you, right, and you're just in it, you know, you're excited about every matchup because you're learning something along the way. Um, while it's something very similar, it's not the most distant thing from the MMA sphere, it's still a big accomplishment in my eyes. And I think a lot of people agree. But that was just a spectacular moment for me. Uh yeah, that's good point. I'm I'm mine. I'm, I'm gonna go um, pro wrestling. Actually, I'm gonna go Ken Shamrock because when I was a kid, when I was at the peak of my pro wrestling fandom, Ken Shamrock was in the WWF, and Ken Shamrock was fucking terrifying. Um, I believed every part of Ken Shamrock's gimmick. He's gonna when snap. he was in the W. Oh my god, I'm not sure if any of you guys remember this, but I remember when Ken told The Rock to hit him with a chair. Like he said, bring it. And The Rock hit him flush in the fucking face with a steel chair. And Ken was out. He was, you know, he got hit in the fucking head. But yeah, he was just crazy. He used to just like yell. And then he would just start throwing motherfuckers. And then he would grab their ankle. And he was snapping. He would snap their ankle. That was his thing. And Ken was great, honestly. He couldn't cut the greatest promo, but dude was over. Dude was Intercontinental Champion. I want to say his run in the WWF was at least like three, four years. He was part of the corporation. It was it was a good time, man. Ken Ken made a great. I mean, I'm sure he wrestled before that in you know in all Japan or something. But he in did. the WWF, man, uh, yeah, I know he did. But I'm just I was as a guy who's primarily known as an MMA fighter. 
I thought he was great as a professional wrestler when I was a kid. I really dug it. Um, Mark, what do you got? Um, yeah, I, I'm picking kind of two. It's the same field, and mostly this first guy is just like, <laughs> I didn't think he had a fucking chance. I'm talking Oleg Tiktokarov. Literally, this is a dude that fought in the old school UFC, you know, bare knuckle, no rules. And I remember it was, I don't, I think it was on one of the UFC broadcasts. They talked about like, yeah, Oleg's not going to do UFC anymore. He's going to become an actor. And I was like, good fucking luck to you. Ruski doesn't speak any English. He's just going to cut it in movies. And fucking lo and behold, a couple years later, here's a Russian guy. It's Oleg Tiktokarov. And he just keeps <laughs> popping up in little shit. I mean... Look, at he's typecast as, like, a Russian mobster. And I would say, I don't know, 99% of all the roles he has. But I'm just impressed. Like, I kept seeing him pop up and be like, shit, this guy's actually getting fucking work. I didn't believe in him at all. Obviously, he did. And, you know, more power to the guy because he's, he's been making it work. And another guy in that same light and someone that we're probably a little bit all more familiar with. And right as I'm saying that, I'm forgetting his name. Uh, that is Keith Jardine. And... I think we've all seen Keith in a couple things, right? Wasn't he in Daredevil or something like that? He was in one of the Marvel. Netflix he was in. Pre- he was in Preacher. Maybe, he was in Game. Was, he's been. He's been in Gamer. Keith has had a career. He's been Gamer also. He was well. N- not only are we seeing him in a few things, I'm really picking this one because um, I think it was an article in MMA Fighting. They interviewed him like a couple months ago, and they talked about how when Keith dropped MMA and went to acting, he went like full-on hard like acting classes this was his new career and just like mma he's gonna pour everything he has into it and kind of reading that article about how this guy has really you know he knew that his athletic days were over so he had to take all that passion and drive he had for mma and put it somewhere else and he put it all into acting and he really got into the craft of being a better actor and bettering himself in this in this field that he was completely you know a newcomer in and we're seeing him get work, and the stuff I've seen him in, he's been pretty good. So it's really, it was really that article just showing how much this guy has seen. Like, you know what? Like, MA was a part of my life, and now I'm pivoting to this other part, and I'm just going to bring that same passion and drive I had when I had to wake up at five in the morning and do road work into waking up early and doing monologues and learning improv and shit like that. So I was just really impressed. I was like, shit, Jardine. I thought, I really honestly thought your agent would just like, you kind of look like a white trash biker. You want to see if I get you some acting gigs? No, this dude legitimately is like, I'm going to get good at this craft. This is going to be my new skill. And I, I commend that. It's it's hard to make those pivots in life when your career, basically the thing you've been putting all your passion and you know life into falls apart and you have to jump to a new thing. It could be a really hard transition. And it's just like big ups for the guy for recognizing that he had to make a, a, a change in his life and just threw everything he had into it. And it's working out for him. So big ups. Uh, Mike, what do you got? Yes, so mine, uh, it's going to be a little more obscure. Um, mine comes from a movie uh, as well. Uh, in mine, um, it's a very famous movie from the 80s. In the final fight, uh, one of the main characters and the main villain, you know, they engage in a no-holds-bar showdown in the rain. You know, they're fighting with their fists and weapons, and eventually the fight gets to the floor. Uh after the guy gets repeatedly punched in the face, um, the main character locks the, the villain into a deep triangle and puts him to sleep. Uh, which one of you can guess which movie this is? Oh, yeah. Lethal oh, Weapon. Lethal, Lethal, Lethal Weapon, weapon. And <laughs> the fighting coordinator for that movie that made that fight scene was Hori and Gracie. 
And this was likely one of the first times that, I mean, let's call it what it is, uh, MMA was put into a movie. So for me, my MMA crossover star is Hori and Gracie. Right on. Nice cut. I, honestly, halfway through that, I was like, fuck, Mike didn't understand what this was supposed to be about. He's just going to talk about lethal weapons. So he used a triangle. I'm glad he knew the stunt coordinator. That all worked out. I was a little, yeah. I, was, I was back in the classroom like, fucking Mike didn't do the assignment again. He's <laughs> <laughs> doing the work, but it's not on the subject. But you nailed it, Mike. A plus. Um, all right. Um, we're already running kind of long anyway. Let's get into stuff we like. Oh, but let's, um, uh, before we do, let's throw it out there. Um, we kind of have a subject in mind, but hey, if anyone oh, yeah. listening has User. a topic, like on a memoir that they want us to talk about, feel free to tweet us uh, a suggestion. You know, we're we are always trying to think week to week of ideas of what we want to remember about. If there's anything out there that we haven't covered that someone wants to hear about, let us know. Yeah, I mean, it's better than me. Or send us an email as well if you want it long form. Bob, why don't you tell them that email? Our email address is itsmamazing at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on Twitter at itsmamazing. Um, that's our main account. Um, you can also find our other Twitter accounts, but quite frankly, if you're not talking to me, maybe Mike, no one's going to respond to you on Twitter. So uh, it's an amazing account is I'm the way to reach us. But, I think I'm still an egg on and Twitter. This is, yeah. And this is no apostrophe in the it's. Guys, there's no, there's no, yeah. Mike is an old man, so he has to explain to people that there's no apostrophe in his fucking Twitter handle. Um, way to go. Uh, yeah, at him, it's I'm amazing. Uh, talk to me. You know, I'm the one with the smart ass takes and possibly is arguing with uh, airline company too. Uh, all right, let's do uh, stuff we like. Um, I actually want to lead this off because it was the big wrestling weekend, but my stuff, and while Rhonda did great. And she was the best part of WrestleMania, if I'm being honest. Uh, the crowd kind of died, quite frankly, after she was done. Uh, that might be the result of putting on a seven-hour fucking wrestling show. But I'm going to talk about what I like and what I said was going to be great. And it ended up being somehow better than I thought it was going to be. And that was NXT TakeOver New Orleans. Um, Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampo might have put on the best wrestling match I've ever seen in my life. Uh, it was fucking incredible. The crowd is so important to stuff like this. It's even important, I think, in MMA or really any event, sporting event or be it in this case a sport entertainment event. The crowd can build so much to that, like how your opinion of a matchup is, be it a fake or worked fight. Um, it's going to be hard for anybody to say this first fight on a prelim card in Vegas with 12 people at the event or is going to be the best fight they've ever seen. Uh, taking that to the extreme in pro wrestling, the NXT crowd is always red hot. And they were 100% in. Johnny Gargano is maybe the biggest babyface working in wrestling. Tommaso Ciampa, the biggest heel. They Every single person hated Ciampa. Everybody loved Gargano. And they put on a goddamn clinic. And the whole show was excellent. Quite frankly, I think the worst match might have been, might have been Shayna Baszler's match. But I would still say Shayna Baszler and Ember Moon put on a very good match. It was very entertaining. Um, For the record, Shayna Baszler is the new women's NXT champion. Yeah, Shayna Baszler took a title, man. She's the champ at NXT. Um, 
That means something, man. Champions still matter. Championships still matter on some level. I, I, I do guess. like that. Isn't there like this arc that like Ember Moon has like bad back defense because she got choked out by Shayna and Asuka? That's just what I read. Is like like, and it plays into the narrative that Ember Moon's you know uh, rear naked choke defense is a little questionable. It's not great, man. Her day, her rear naked choke defense isn't great, and uh, they've really set up Shayna as the monster heel or bad guy champion in that division because ember moon actually just graduated to the main roster uh today up to monday night raw so um Shayna baszler is the clear champion with no strong contender yet so she's gonna just wreck some girls probably for the next six months at least so there's that there was a six-man ladder match with our guy uh, with my guy velveteen dream he was out there ricochet who i mentioned can fly man can fly he went out there and flew so just a great match uh great title match with alistar black andrade cian almas really good six uh three-way tag match um between the undisputed era authors of pain and uh roddy strong and pete dunn overall it was honestly i think it was the best wrestling event i've probably seen since i was a kid um since probably like wrestlemania 17 i'd say which was the one that always sticks out to me as the best wrestling event ever because it was fucking great um, this was just so good. The crowd was hot. They loved every part of it, and they well done. If the future is this, if the future is Triple H putting on shows like this, they're gonna have a very healthy future because this was wonderful. So yeah, NXT Takeover New Orleans. If you got the WWE Network to watch Ronda, man, go click that shit over and watch it because it was a great, great show. Um, Mike, what do you got this week? Uh, yeah, just to add a just a slight bit more on uh, your NXT Takeover thing. That Ember was it Ember Moon girl. Mm. I actually saw her fight earlier. She's actually really good. Um, but uh, besides that, uh, two things for me. One of them is an anime that I finally started watching. I kept seeing it on my Crunchyroll pop up, and I kept saying, "Ah, oh, I don't want to watch that shit. It has a stupid name." And uh, I finally decided to watch it because I was kind of tired of the anime I'd been watching and I wanted to try something new. So I gave Black Clover a try. It's uh, yeah, it's uh, give you a short synopsis on the show. Um, I have strong feelings. I want to know which way you're going with this. (laughs) It's uh, these two kids that were uh, orphaned as uh, small babies. Um, they grew up in this uh, world where pretty much everyone uses magic on some level. Uh, one of the babies, and they're not um, blood-related brothers or anything. They're just two random babies that were together. Uh, one of the babies uh, is a magical prodigy, while the other kid grows up to have absolutely no talent for magic at all. He can't sense magic. He can't do any type of magic, which is an extreme rarity. In, in this world and the show pretty much starts with them being about 15 and going on their way to become uh, magical knights and uh, their adventures in it um, about 20 25 episodes in I started the show on on Friday so that goes to show you just how much I've been binge watching it uh, sadly I'm reaching the point where I kind of have to wait for new episodes to air which is the worst part about binge watching when you actually have to wait a week to watch the new episode so that kind of sucks so black clover if you're into anime of any type uh, give it a try um 
it's a bit derivative. Um, there's a lot of things that remind me of anime shows I've watched in the past, but I mean, it's anime shows that I've enjoyed before, so um, that's not too big of a critique on it. It's a solid show that I'll probably keep watching because, frankly, I watch anything. I got uh, a question. I got a question. Yeah. Does uh does Black Clover sound like a real fucked up strain of wheat to anybody else? Because that's what it sounds like to me. Like some shit that's just going to ruin your Saturday. That's what that shit sounds like it, to me. That's a good segue. It sounds Bob. like the type of weed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, I, I don't want to rain on your parade, Mike. I found that show unbearable. The main character is constant screaming, and it has the most irritating voice. Like, I found that absolutely unbearable to watch. Well, you know, that's just one of those uh, stereotypical um, shonen main characters from animes. You know, you either like them or you don't. I, I don't mind that type. Of from everything character. I've read, that the main character's screaming voice is the barrier of the show. If you can handle it, you can get into the series or it turns you off because I, I ended up reading Internet Opinions. And that 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 is what makes or breaks people abilities watch, to watch that show. So at I, least I learned I'm not alone in that opinion. I do feel like Mike is right, though. I think a lot of animes have that, because not only did this one sound a lot like My Hero Academia, I had that same problem with My Hero Academia, right? And the first, I mean, like, I think for me, it's not too, I can kind of handle it all right. But it was mostly I was watching it, and I can just tell, like, man, I could tell Christine's not even watching this, and just all the screaming's probably annoying the shit out of her. But, uh, Mike, is it, it seems very reminiscent to My Hero Academia. Is that kind of it's it look it's reminiscent to look because in there in a lot of japanese anime shows the main character is gonna be a a type of either loser character or someone who doesn't have the abilities that the rest of the world has and somehow he perseveres through hard work and determination to make something of himself that's my hero academy with midoriya that's naruto with well naruto uh, you know, that was, uh, you know, it's a lot of different anime shows throughout the years that you'll find that type of character. So, um, if you can kind of get over that, it's a bit of a show where it's a very common theme, just with a slightly different twist, then you're fine with it. Fair enough. Uh, uh... the other thing, um, it's a new, sh- a new documentary on Netflix on everyone's favorite person, Donald Trump. Uh, Four-part documentary, um, Trump, an American Dream. It goes through his uh, time in the 70s when he started coming up in New York, when he actually accomplished something really well and uh, you know reinvigorated and renovated the, the downtrodden Commodore ho- Hotel that's uh, right there next to Grand Central Station. Um, if any of you have ever been to New York, um, the Marriott, that's the, I think it's Marriott or Hyatt. I can't remember which one it is. But when you exit out of Grand Central Station, when you see that really nice, fancy looking hotel, uh, that used to be the Commodore Hotel. And that hotel was actually close to being torn down um, when New York was at its, uh, its lowest in the 70s. And that's what made Trump famous at least in new york originally and then the show starts getting into the 80s and how he stiffed a whole bunch of people and how he was a bit of a womanizer and how he wasn't a great businessman and how his dad fred trump 
you know, bailed him out on so many different things. I'm currently starting episode four, which is starting to get more into the 2000s. And I'm assuming it's going to talk about his eventual presidential run. It's pretty, pretty good show. Nothing really that you don't really know already about Donald Trump, but it puts it all into a very nice compact bow. Yes, Bobby. What about what's going on the last two years makes you want to see him on TV more? It's an honest question. I'm not trying to. Do, I'm, I'm sure it's a good documentary, but what about what? How do you how do you seek out more of the content? Um, you got to know your enemy. Isn't that what Sun Tzu said? Okay. I mean, okay, that's a fair point. I can't do it. I really can't. It's. I mean, I. Well, that's almost my, the same. Logic my, my man. My man this morning, I mean, today, the FBI raided his attorney's office, and he said that was an attack on this country. So, yeah. I, Well, it's, <laughs> it's kind of the same thing as I hate reading his tweets every day because I have it as a Twitter alert. I hate reading what he has to say, but damn it, I need to know what he's saying. That's fair. It's just uh, like all those uh, old dudes with all the Nazi books, you know? Do they like Hitler? No, but they want to <laughs> learn about him, okay? <laughs> and they want to learn about him enough that they have swastika bookcases all over their house. No judgments. All right. Speaking, uh, about, uh... speaking about Hitler, just one, one thing, one little history thing. Sure, Hitler, no um, problem. Well, not exactly about Hitler, but about the Nazis. I was talking with Good, my... Uh, all of them. I was talking with my uh, East German um, co-worker today, and he told me that when Nazi Germany occupied Greece, they made Greece take out a loan so that they could pay for the Nazi soldiers' occupation, right? And here's where it gets interesting. Greece is still paying off that loan. Like you know that. what? Greece has paid off a lot of debts. We haven't paid off anything. Everything's still paid off. Greece Greece has been riding the high of creating democracy for quite a bit of time. I think the part that really blew my mind is that no one in like 1946 or 1945, whenever the hell Hitler and Eva Braun offed themselves, no one thought, well, we're not paying these Nazi loans, right? We're, not, we're just not paying it, right? Mike, we're an honorable people. We have the debt. We have to not pay it for as and long as we possibly can. My, uh, my, uh, the VP, one of the VPs in my group who's Greek, is, who's Greek, I, at the end of the day, I asked him, hey, did you know about this? And, I t and I'm telling him, I'm dumbfounded. How, how in the world did this happen? And he just turns to me and says, because the Greeks are stupid and corrupt <laughs> oh jesus christ there you go <laughs> right from the people who know best okay thank you mike that was that You're was welcome. needed to know we needed to know that information uh stefan <laughs> what do you got this week um i got a couple things uh i took my niece and nephew to the silicon valley comic-con this weekend um those are really fun you know, uh, if you're familiar with Comic-Cons, you know what they're about. And uh, my only regret was we were unable to meet. Uh, I would have loved to have gotten a photo and to meet Stan Lee. Um, but, of course, that's like one of the things that sold out this weekend. Because I guess I thought you could just line up. But apparently a lot of the celebrity meet and greets, they actually sell separate tickets. 
So, um, you know, Stanley, he's what, 94 years old now. Um, someone I do know got to take a photo with him and like, God bless him. He was sitting there in a San Francisco Giants jacket, but he was also just sitting down. <laughs> you know, he, he's a little, it's, it's a little too hard for him to do much else beyond that these days. But, um, you know, it's, it's amazing. He's lived as long as he has. I, I hope I get a chance to meet him before his time comes. Uh, you know, he's been a inspiration and hero to so many things I love. So, uh, that was fun. It was cool to see my little niece and nephew in that environment. My niece was talking to so many people she met in the artist alley because um, she's a little burgeoning artist herself. And it was just cool seeing her talk to all these artists who had booths. And I think they were all super appreciative to have like a young fan who was like asking them for advice. It was just a really cool atmosphere. Um, another one I saw, and it's a movie I recommended to Mark. I don't know if you got a chance to see it. And I recommend it to everyone else who hasn't seen it. I saw um, A Quiet Place. Uh I think it was the directorial debut of John Krasinski, also starring John Krasinski and his real-world wife, Emily Blunt. Um, and that is just a roller coaster ride. It's, it's a short movie. I think it's like an hour 20. Because um, that's kind of all it needs to be, right? It's, it's not so much a horror movie in my eyes as it's just a suspense movie. Um, it's just a really crazy atmosphere, right? If you know the premise of it, it's, uh, there are these monsters that have kind of like decimated the planet. They kind of operate based on sound. So the whole premise is you can't make noise. You have to live your existence as quietly as you possibly can. And it was just kind of amazing watching that kind of film because the tension of the film translated to the theater. And it's like everyone in the theater felt like they couldn't make a sound. Like you hear someone crumple their popcorn bag and be like, oh, shit, like as if something's going to happen to them. And that just kind of added to the like ambiance and the effect of the movie. I thought it was a very fun ride. Um, really well-made movie. It opened number one this weekend. Um, yeah, killed it. Yeah, it's 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 a lo- it's one of those, um, people are calling it a get-out type movie, where it's just in the sense that it had little fanfare. It didn't cost a lot to make. And wow, it kind of jumped out of the gate, really capturing people's like minds and hearts. So um, it was, you know, it was trending at like a perfect hundred on Rotten Tomatoes for a minute. If you haven't seen it yet, I highly, highly recommend it. Did you get to see it, Mark? Nah, th- this next weekend for sure. For sure. We're, we're making plans to see it. Yeah, I, you you and Drew, Bob, Mar- uh, Mike, if you got that movie pass, definitely put A Quiet Place on your list. Right on. Nice. Uh, go get to go see Jim expand his horizons, being a director now. Oh, that beard Props looks so good. I did see a, a headline where it showed like a really disheveled Emily Blunt and uh, John Krasinski. And it's like, man, like uh, it gets really tough for Jim and Pam in a few years. <laughs> I think I saw that. Um, Marcus, uh, let you round us out here, buddy. Uh, yeah, this, um, this weekend I got to see a live performance of The Dollop. I think I've mentioned uh, this podcast many, many moons ago, but uh, you got to see them live in San Francisco. It's basically an American history comedy podcast. And if that sounds interesting to you, I would recommend, especially since you're listening to an MMA podcast. And the first episode that my girlfriend or fiance, I should say, uh, Christine showed me was episode 134. It's about uh, Count Dante. And Count Dante is a little before our times, but he was one of those motherfuckers at the back of like the 1980s uh, comic books that he was like the deadliest martial artist. And he's killed. He's been in like 500 death matches and survived them all and all this kind of bullshit. And as they go through like what this dude was about and all the shit he tried to pull, dude had a fucking 
tiger in Chicago. He'd walk around on a leash and shit. It's it's a really crazy story. So if you have any interest in hearing more about Count Dante, uh, check out episode one thirty four. That was back in November twenty fifteen of the Dollop. Um, and they've done a they've done just about any you know interesting person that you could think of, including they had a two parter on on Donald Trump. And just like Mike, I had to know how this dude gets so crazy and fucked up and stupid. And now I learned that like, oh yeah, you had tons of money and you solved all your problems by just suing people and hoping they don't go to court. So uh, yeah, uh, great podcast. Um, and just to touch home on some video games real quick. Um, this week's pretty light. There is a uh, indie game coming out on the Switch called Streets of Red that I'm kind of interested in. It's kind of a side-scrolling beat-em-up. It has some like permadeath kind of mentality to it, which could kind of be annoying and off-putting, but I'm kind of interested to checking it out. You know, it has the cool uh, 16-bit pixel art. I guess the premise is you play as kind of characters that are have video game abilities and you're fighting a bunch of horror monsters or something. Looks really cool. Streets of Red. Um, check it out. Uh, but I did want to mention I started playing Far Cry 5 this weekend and I am really enjoying it. Uh, probably a lot more so than I thought I would. Um, I played all the Far Cry games except for Far Cry Primal, which was the one where they went to like the Stone Age. I wasn't really too into that aesthetic. Um, but this one taking place in Montana with the cult. Um, it's just a really... I think the moment-to-moment gameplay of just running around this big open world of, you know, Montana countryside is just fun. And uh, Far Cry has done a really good job in one of its elements of basically taking over these outposts. And it is just intrinsically fun to kind of scout this area out, mark all the enemies, and then systematically kill each one of them before anyone knows what's going on. It's just kind of a fun... And Mark, is Far Cry a first-person shooter? Yeah, it is a first-person open-world uh, shooter. So you're basically, this one takes place in a fictional rural area of Montana, and there's this cult that has kind of taken over. And I think some of the, the the stuff that people complain about is they, you know, when we heard about it, it was going to be about a cult. We thought like the game might have kind of a message to say about extreme religions or gun control or any of that stuff. And from what I played and what I've heard, it doesn't really get too much into that. And one of the only cons I kind of have in the game, and I guess this happens consistently throughout, is, I mean, the whole game is a power fantasy. You're one person thrown into basically a whole county that is against you, and you just fuck all this shit up constantly. So what sucks is throughout the game, every now and then, the little cult leaders will be like, we gotta get this person, hit him with the, the drug bullets. So then these people come, you can't stop them, they hit you with this drug bullet, which basically takes your agency out of the game, you're captured... And they keep trying to convert you. And it's like, dude, I fucking killed 500 people. Why are you still trying to convert me? I'm going to get out of this shit. I always do. And I guess that happens consistently throughout the game. Each time you hit one of these kind of story arcs, it's like, okay, now we're going to take control away from you. You're going to be taking captured. You're going to be taken captured. And then you're going to have to go through this little level we set for you, which is all fine and good. It's just weird. It's just like, you can't make me feel like the un beatable god one second and then force me to be kind of victim to these guys and then not have them kill me it doesn't make sense like after i kill so many of your cult people has to become like okay you're not worth converting we're just bullet in head story done let's continue on but overall those being my complaints the game itself is extremely fun i've been having a lot of fun with it and uh it's been doing really well too uh it's the top selling game for uh march and it came out at the very end of the month and there was a lot of good games that came out a couple weeks ago, and this one kind of surprised me the most of just how much I'm enjoying it. So yeah, if you're kind of into that stuff, I definitely recommend it. 
All right, kids. Um, that's it for this week. We'll be back next week. Is there a card after this? I might have closed MMA Ooh, Junkie. Somebody I don't know. There might be. I think we're kind of hitting into that rotation of weekly. Because they, they put up their calendar, I remember, on Saturday. And I'm like, oh, no. No. <laughs> no. Why are there so many? Yeah, um, we got Edson Barbosa and Kevin Lee. Totally yeah. fight. You know what? I'm the, you know what? I'm looking at the co-main event of Frankie Edder, Cup Swanson. I take it back. We're all good. I'm also like, That's, why uh, is Frankie Edgar fighting so soon? Very good question, Stefan. Really, really How good am I question. I've seeing this guy fight again. All right. All uh, right. Is this in... Okay, it's not in New York. It's, it's in AC. New Jersey. They have a decent commission in New Jersey. Next week, I want to, I want to, maybe, ne- I don't know if it's next week, but I really want to just, I have a list of all the times the New York State Athletic Commission's messed up. And by I have a list, I mean somebody on Reddit did it for me. And I kind of just want to go through these one at a time. And at the end, I want Mike to defend his state <laughs> before he just gives up and says, fuck it, everything in the Prudential Center or whatever it's called now. <laughs> Look, man, here's how I defend my state. We got Jay Z. We got Biggie, but we had Biggie. He's dead. You got Trump. No problem. All right, guys. Um, <laughs> so we're proud fair of. enough. Um, all right, guys. Thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. Um, if you want to ask us a question or anything, hit us up on social media. I mentioned at It's Amazing. You can email us. Uh, it's Amazing at gmail.com. I mean, have a question. Don't just tell us about your day. But you know what? Anything, you know, if you have memoirs of the fight fan you want us to throw out there, go nuts. Uh, we'd happily do that rather than me badgering Stefan to come up with something new. He's every doing week. good, but he's going to run out of ideas he's, eventually. Yeah. He, there's a, I, I can only wring so much water out of this towel. Okay. There's only so much in there. At that point, we're just going to um, do a It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and we're going to have to do the version two of previous episodes and bring it back. <laughs> we got the script already done. Let's just tweak a few things. That's a new episode, baby. No, realistically, we forget what we've already talked about, and then we just start doing it again. I have been kind of noticed that today. My memoir was just a mix of three other things Mark talked about at other times, but whatever. <laughs> I've been keeping notes on this envelope, but we're running out of space. <laughs> Yeah, we, we, we might need a second envelope. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, have a great week and, uh, peace out. See ya. Later. See ya.